<sighs> well, my dad's still alive, so I try not to. Uh, uh, I try not to dig too deep into that, just because you know, he's still involved in our lives, and I don't want there to be uh, resentment and embarrassment and you know things like that. Um, so my parents divorced basically when I was born. Uh, so like a divorce household, it's kind of all I knew. But I knew by like middle school, certainly by high school, like I wanted a complete family. I wanted a normal family. I wanted a mom and dad in the same house. I wanted to be able to, you know, siblings to grow up with siblings. Um, I, 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 if you look at my life, stability is something I definitely crave. And that's something I didn't have. I think I went to like, I don't know, 13, 14 different schools by the time I hit ninth grade. And then ninth through 12th, I, I actually stayed in the same school. Uh, and like we weren't even a military family that was just bouncing around between custody um you know different places uh you know i had step parents um so you know i i didn't have any of the extreme there was no child abuse or anything like that uh you know not like extreme physical abuse or anything like that there was no sexual abuse there was no there's no crazy story like that it's just you know i lack stability i lacked uh Yeah, I, I don't know how how deep to get into that, <laughs> but I think no, but I was. I mean, laughing. it Go begs ahead. the question, right? You you built a whole brand on it, and I've read your blogs. I read your, I follow your Instagram, and some of these foundational principles are, I mean, like where did you learn them if you didn't have them? Kind of like, how did you come oh. into this wisdom? Sure. So that's just a whole lot of knowing what I wanted in life and then trying to gain that knowledge. Uh, there were probably, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe a few more father figures in my life. I kind of always latched oh, wow. on to the older guy and tried to learn from them. Um, you know, I would take, you know, I moved out when I was 16, uh, moved in with a friend's family Damn. and, you know, like their dad was like a father to me. And lots of like close friends' dads became father figures to me. Um, you know, my grandfather was a father figure. I mean, I would read books and almost read them like biographies uh, from like that. Hey, what is this guy trying to teach me? Almost as if they were a father to me. And then as I got older and actually had kids, uh, you know, learning like parenting strategies and, uh, you know, you know, when it comes to like business stuff, like, you know, I just, I did a lot of reading. I, I talked to a lot of guys. It was almost always older men. Uh, that had some success in their lives, either in their family or their business or, you know, just financially or in their career. Uh, and I was just always looking to learn from them. And so it's just kind of this continual cycle of, of listen, I, I want to have a good life. I want to have a great family. I want to raise kids well. I don't want them to rebel against me. I want to always be there for them. I want to make sure, you know, when we're older and I'm a grandparent that that uh sorry all the kids are coming in you're fine hey guys yeah i'm gonna go to the bedroom oh, record. nope nope just started at 4 30. sorry location change no you're fine lighting's probably better Maybe Ta-boom. not. Uh, how's this? That's good. 
That's that's actually really good. Perfect. That's good. So we were talking about, and I almost feel like that's in it. Don't, I got to be careful how I say this, but it's almost beneficial that you didn't have this amazing singular father figure that was giving you everything you needed because you found so oh. many different perspectives. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely a life. You know, I'm trying to. I'm trying to avoid that same path for my kids. I want to be able to raise them in a way. I hate. I hate the shadows on this failure podcast. How's that? Do I look okay. handsome? You look about 20 years younger now. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's good. Just grab your skateboard and skate on by. I know. I tried that once and um, I, I, I bruised my coccyx. What the hell which is, is the very, the bone at the very tip of your tailbone. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knew that. Now they do. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'd like my kids to avoid that. I'd like to be able to raise them in a home, um, you know, that obviously had a good father and, and you know, the whys are explained and, um, you know, we just live a good life and explain why we make the choices that we make and raise them to be good men and good fathers and, and good people in the community. Um, that way they don't have to learn from the lack of, they can just instead have a higher starting point and go beyond, you know, even my wildest dreams for them. So, but that comes, you know, we hear from people all the time of like, hey, I mean, even myself, I come from a divorced household. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean you're destined for that. Uh, you know, there's people that were abused, like horrible stories out there and, and they make good out of their life. But, you know, that doesn't mean we want our kids necessarily to go through that exact, exact same experience. We'd like to raise them to, have the same values, have the same integrity, have the same lessons we have and knowledge we have, but maybe a more wholesome path. So I imagine even though you had all these wonderful perspectives, you still didn't have exactly a household example to model from in your opinion. There had to have been steps along the way where you had to learn from failure. So what were some of those most the most impactful experiences that you can look back now and be like it is because of that experience that i am the father i am today that people can learn from hmm. that's a good question thanks i don't i don't know that there's any one major thing i think uh in my life i think it was just a whole bunch of cumulative as far as the fatherhood aspect of it uh now, if you go to business, whole different story. If you go to finance, this whole different story. There's, you know, there's some like big major events there you can kind of pinpoint. Um, but just collectively as a whole, you know, I, I saw enough big blow up fights. I saw what, um, you know, a divorced household's like. I saw what going through divorces like. I saw what custody battles are like. Um, you know, and then I guess I was kind of lucky that I had a, uh, I have a really sweet, loving, nice, kind mom. Uh, mm -hmm. That was kind of like this. You know, I hate to say the phrase "good and evil," but like there was black and white difference uh, between my mom and my dad. It almost makes you wonder what, like, how they got together. Um, uh, so, like, I had this perspective of like what life is like over here and what life is like over here, uh, and so I can kind of see such a a big difference in those two households. Uh, and I think that just kind of helped 
had this cumulative effect of, of a picture of kind of what I wanted in life. And, um, you know, there were good aspects about my father and there were some really bad aspects about my father. And there were, there's good things about my mom and there's some bad things about my mom. Of um, course. And so, you know, I think that's been my, my whole life up until, and even still currently is I'm always looking at people, looking at situations and trying to extract some useful, good information from that. And, uh, and also identifying like, Hey, that's not good. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, and just almost make it a mental note of let's avoid doing that thing because it doesn't work out very well. So, so yeah, I wish I could, you know, I, I know this is a failure podcast. Um, I just didn't even think about it from that perspective in my preparations. I guess I failed to prepare very well. Oh, like um, what you did there. Very nice. Very nice, Johnson. Uh, well, then so switch gears. It, it, it's all, it's all cumulative. It's all kind of like, it's it's been ebb and flow from the father because even like right now and then we can switch gears even as a father like i can't like i haven't done anything a major failure in raising my kids but there's been little failures there's been times i've lost my temper there's been times i've fed them all that great there's been times you know we probably lived too structured or not structured enough like there's little things here and there gave them the wrong medicine um but there's been like no major, I didn't bail on the family for three years and realize, oh, I really missed them. I should probably be there for them. Um, yeah, but, no, that those were, that was like one end of the spectrum and then you just went. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a lot of room in there. <laughs> I was not there's looking no room. for it. Listen, so it's either I you've abandoned them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, but then I met all of these things, fatherhood, business, finance, all of them blend together, especially when you've owned a business, you've sold a bit, you built a business, owned a business, sold a business. So switch gears, tell us where you failed and how that's impacted you now as a business owner, because you're going to pass that wisdom on to the boys one way or the other. Sure. Uh, and it's all in, in my life, it's all been intertwined because I was, I went the small business route where we worked for ourselves and we also homeschooled. So like life, life gets so intertwined when you do that. You know, when you're a small business owner um, and you homeschool uh, and you're very family oriented, like they all like you do homeschool at the office sometimes and you do work at home sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's very, very intertwined, uh, which I like. I actually enjoy that life. But um, I think it's know, great failure, for kids to see that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to grow up in business, you know, they, and obviously they're growing up in a family that for the last, what, two years has um, been together 24-7, 365. I mean, You're a living social experiment. I really am. And I, it's gone really well. We always said, like, if this turns out to be a complete disaster, if living in a sardine can and cramming us all, you know, inside of it um, is, is sending us in a bad direction, then we'll stop doing it. But if, we're liking it and we want to keep going and the family is still tighter and more bonded than ever, then we'll keep going. And that's kind of what we're doing right now. And so we kind of have like an indefinite time frame. but it's always kind of that current assessment of like, how's the family doing and, and where do we see this going? Um, and we seem to like it, but you know, I, I, I've asked myself and I've even asked Ryan this question a few times, like, I wonder if the kids are like gonna raised by such an involved father, uh, that like they'll want nothing to do with a family when they're older they're like i spend so much time with a family 
as a young kid that I just want to be independent and by myself out in the woods somewhere. <laughs> never get married and never have kids or never be near them. You're so, but I one don't of your, think one of your boys probably will be like that. I mean, I, come I on. don't want there's always I don't one. Think so. I mean, I, you can already hear the way they talk. Like they already talk about, you know, what they're going to do with their kids and, you know, what, what adventures they're going to do and things like that. Um, so they already kind of talk in a way where they, you know, and, they, and they're at the ages, what, 11, eight and five, where they really want to emulate dad. Um, and they're, they're all boys. So that's a little bit easier. So they already kind of talk like that. But so I, so I think it'll go well. And we're, I'm very open on life and the life choices I've made. Uh, and then obviously I document and I write and um, all those things that are public are going to be available to them. And as they get older, I know. And that's why I'm careful when I write. Like, I know this will be read by my kids um, and I could die tomorrow, you know, trying to fix something on the you rig. Could. Um, yeah. And so it's not He's like in, I'm right. We got to paint this picture real quick. He's in the middle of Alaska right now. And he says sardine can, but I'm going to have you walk out there and show them your sardine can. And it's, but the sardine can is broken. It is. And they're just in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness and they've been Luckily, here Luckily, we, we did not peel the lid off by going under a small bridge. I've seen that and that's, that's an ugly picture. Almost. Can you show, oh. can you show the viewers real quick, the quickly just walk out and show them the sardine can you're referencing? Well, Please. I just got comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I feel like post-production, I mean, just your a workout. picture up of the rig. Right, uh, I, can I flip the camera? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. What are you doing? Ryan or Kendall <laughs> wants to see the right. There's Ryan. Say hi. Hi. I don't think you guys can hear each other. Oh, is that her podcast? That's her podcast. I know. I told you you should do this podcast. Yeah. Sorry. Hi. Hi. What? Oh, Ryan has a list of fails too. If you want. Well, I, I was hoping she'd be on it as well, but I can do her alone. All, All right, right here's the sardine can. I don't know oh how God, to put the camera you're in. You're only thirty-five. Get it together. Right. All right. <laughs> All right. Just there. Encouraging encouragement and wisdom, and he's got his family yeah. on his sardine can. Yeah, you guys, he's living large. Yeah. How freaking that's, cute. That's where we've been so far. So I'm going to peel this off one day. I like, I'm going to cut <gasps> it out and uh, we need to tighten up that's some cool. of those red lines. Yeah. So we like Indiana Jones dip. Um, so I'm going to cut that off one day and have that in my office just framed up. Yeah. It's pretty oh, dope. It's pretty dope. It's pretty, pretty dope. dope. Look, okay, do you see so where we, I am? We had to paint that. Yeah. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're in a scrap yard. So I think it's funny and useful because this whole lifestyle that everybody's trying to do right now is always picture perfect. He's in a scrapyard. Yeah. With his three kids. It's gated though. So they're they're okay. So don't call Sometimes. a government Sometimes. agency. They couldn't find I him mean, anyway. The gated you can just walk through. But <laughs> yeah, just scrap metal everywhere. And then my it's power not cord. always roses and mountains, guys. <laughs> they let me just plug in an extension cord, so that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm living the good life, Kendall. Life's good. Yeah, we're catching him on a great day for a Failure Friday podcast. In, in the industrial section of Fairbanks, Alaska. Enjoying the wilderness. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I just had, I wanted That's to okay. show the viewers that so they could paint a picture, but I do 
really want you to talk about, you have so much to give to this, to this audience, a failure that has proved instrumental in making you who you are today. Well, now I gotta get comfortable. <laughs> the one thing about this RV is it's hard to sit in places. All right, am I handsome? Yeah, you'll do. Am I sweaty? <laughs> oh. All right. What was the question? Something about failure, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole list of those, especially so if you get into the business world, anybody that's a small business owner really kind of knows because small business life just day to day has like 400 failures every single day. And then you also have like 400 wins, um, but it's just day to day up and down, which is like the thrill that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, but our very first business move, uh, gosh, how many did we buy? I think we bought 24 Tosimo commercial grade Tosimo coffee machines. And at the time, I think they were about a grand each. So I spent like 24,000 bucks. Uh, and I think we had like 30,000 to, to launch the business. Um, so I spent 24 of it behind these machines and they're very much like that movie Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith when he buys those like bone density imaging machines and they take the picture with like all those machines in the background and that's how he's gonna make it. It was very much like one of those moments. Um, and so we had all these machines. Uh, they were in our garage because we started in our garage. The office was the spare bedroom. And when I sold the business 10 years later, we still had probably eight or 10 of those machines new in box up in a pallet somewhere. I mean, it was because that's all the, when I, we first started, I was going to be a Tosmo distributor. That's the only machine we were going to carry. That was the only product we were going to carry. That's what I was going to sell. And we quickly realized that was a, the very first move I did um, was a very, very bad decision. And it was a wrong decision. Uh, Tosmo machines were not that great. They were way too expensive. They were way too complicated. They had a lot of, uh, a lot of mechanical and engineering failures. And, uh, and it was such a, it was like, it was a unique twist. It was a cool twist. It was, it was a good sell for the people that had them. But it was a hard sell because everyone knew Keurig as a single cup and they knew um, bulk brewing coffee. And so it was a lot of like consumer education in the sales process, which made it a more difficult sale. Um, so it was probably only a few months into that that I had to pivot and, uh, and uh, you know, really change the entire structure of the business so that we could be successful because we weren't going to be successful with those Tosmo machines. So well, like, what sold you on selling them in the first place? You're a smart guy. Yeah, the, no, they were a cool machine. Um, they were, the OCS industry was similar to the vending industry, which is what I was in at the time. So there were parallels there. I saw void in the coffee industry because, you know, a lot of the vending customers were looking for a coffee distributor that, uh, you know, could do a good job because they didn't like theirs. So I knew there was a void in that market. Um, and then the machines look cool. You know, it was backed by Kraft Food Service. So, you know, I thought, hey, this is a big billion dollar company. They probably did this right. Um, you know, they thought they were going to take over Keurig. Um, and it was unique. It like was barcode scanned. It could make like a really good espresso. It could make mixed drinks. And, uh, you know, I was sold on it. I tried it. I liked it. And, you know, even at the very end when we did sell, I'd like that machine. We used it. You know, I had one set up in my office. We had some customers on it. It was just, it was overly expensive. It had, it had a lot of issues. Um, and like the product cost was uh, a little bit more expensive than Keurig. 
Um, mm. But in the end, it just it wasn't so a the good. The margins business. weren't there. Uh, margins were about the same as Keurig, uh, but in bulk brewing coffee, they they were, those were higher margins, where you actually just brewed coffee instead of a single cup method, and that's where we ended up um, kind of making our name and having the most of most sales. Uh, so completely different equipment, completely different product. Uh, but anyway, so I like I love using that example because our very first decision was the wrong one, and it was a big wrong one. That was like a good. Well, you chunk said of you our, had you know, thirty grand, and you spent twenty four of it on those machines. Yeah, yeah, that worked out really well. <laughs> You're fine, Ryan. I heard her. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is the best. So, the best spot. Listen, if, if this you're going to get interrupted this much and move, uh, you know, move this much in a podcast, it should be on a failure podcast. Oh, we're here. We're we're here. We're living it. Okay. I can so also tell you, it's getting hotter and hotter inside this RV. Your nose is getting shinier and shinier. So I've noticed. It's okay. We're going to own it. We're going to own it. Use your shirt to wipe it off. Hundred percent bad. Sweaty. Yeah. Oily. My other shirt was more breathable, but one of us didn't like it. Okay. Well. The whole point is we're talking about your brand. Good God. Yeah. We're editing that. all of this out. At 100DAD. 100DAD.com. <laughs> okay. So back to the pivot. You pivoted. Right, whoever is edit- Listen, whoever's editing this, I'm really sorry. The thing your is, we're probably not going to edit a lot of this because this is actually my favorite part of this podcast. Um, okay. So you pivot. By the end of this. Can you explain what a pivot is to people who are just starting their business? A pivot on your right foot gets you going in the left direction. So, okay. We have a long way to go with this guy. That's not true. So a pivot, <laughs> a pivot in business. Uh, something wasn't working and we realized and we recognized that even though we were committed, uh, in, in this case, it was the Tosimo machines and single cup and using them. And we had minimums like, I guess that's something that's probably not even talked about very often is when you enter distribution agreements with someone, you have minimums you have to buy. Like you have requirements or they will drop you as a distributor. And this product was exclusive to that machine. So even though I own the machines, I had to buy X amount of product all the time for the amount of machines I had. And if I didn't do that, and if I didn't meet the increases, they could drop me as a distributor. and and that would be a bad thing because then I own a lot of machines I can't buy a product for, which would be a really bad situation. Um, so I had all these machines. We really didn't have almost any customers. We just needed to get volume somehow. Uh, and so we kind of had to make a decision on, do we continue to do the hard sell, convince people to drop whatever coffee machine they have and not only switch service providers, but switch machines, switch coffee, switch the style of how the coffee is made, uh, which is a harder sell, a more difficult sell. Uh, or do we do we make a switch to what they're already using and sit there and say, hey, we can do what you have already. We can just provide you a better service. We can provide you a better product, um, but you won't have the learning curve of this whole new equipment, this whole new product experience. And um, there was a mentor of mine that was actually a distributor. Uh, his name was Rick Ganitowski. He's out of Tampa. Uh, and he, I still talk to him to this day because he's really the one that kind of pulled me aside and said, Townsend, this Tosmo thing, like you, you see it's not working. I sell you the Tosmo product, like it runs through our warehouses. I see your numbers, you know, you really need to look into, you know, this type of equipment and bulk 
uh, bulk brew coffee, I can help you get started. These are, you know, here's some um, coffee roaster contacts you can reach out to. Um, and, you know, this is, this is just something you really need to consider. And so we kind of had to sit down and look at, you know, do we, do we kind of cannibalize our distrib our essentially our customer base by limiting our Tosimo purchases by switching people over to, uh, uh, to the bulk brew coffee um, or the, all the new customers we're getting, you know, do we sell them on the bulk brew coffee and not sell them on the Tosimo as hard? Um, and then, you know, kind of risk losing our distribution. Uh, so there are some hard choices to make, uh, but in the end, we ended up going to a lot of bulk brew. We ended up bringing some Keurig on, even though in our distribution agreement, we weren't allowed to carry another single cup, I don't think. Um, uh, but it was just obvious that that was going to be a lot easier to do. There were people that were unhappy with their service provider, but kind of wanted to keep the same product. You know, when you go to a car dealership, they base, they have those, you know, the glass pot coffee or the air pot coffee machines. They didn't want to switch to a Tosimo machine. They didn't want to have to educate every customer that was coming in there to get an oil change or get a new car. They didn't want to have to like teach them how to open the machine, how to put the product in. It was just too complicated. They wanted to stick with what they had. They just wanted somebody that could deliver the products and repair the machines more reliable. And that's what we became. And so we did that really well. We executed really well on it, but that was a big pivot. We had to make a change in the business that made sense for, uh, made sense for the business. How At did the you time, find the capital? Harder, you know? I didn't. Uh, at that time, I didn't. We just had to do, you know, one machine at a time. Um, you know, we had a little bit of money coming in, but not enough to sustain us. Luckily, we, we, we didn't, when we started the business, we didn't get a big warehouse. We didn't take on a staff. We didn't do any of that stuff. So we had low overhead um, at that point. You know, when we bought our house, we, we did the whole 20% down and, and uh, you know, we'd been making principal payments against it. Uh, so our mortgage, and I think we had refinanced right before we did the business. So my mortgage payment was actually really small. So I went from like 900 a month to like, I think 458 or something like that when we refinanced. We were, we were able to refinance down to like, I think we had paid it down to like 130 or something left on the mortgage. So, uh, you know, over 30 years, that's a really small number, but Right. We had continued to make, we made the 430 payment and then we would make the other, you know, 450 or 400, whatever it was against principal every month. So our, our goal was to get that paid off quick. So we kind of kept the same mortgage payment, but that gave us leeway um, and and how we could build. But we were broke for like three years. I mean, it was, it was tough. Um, but like I said, we didn't have all the overhead. Um, we still cash flowed it. Uh, once I got a little bit of success, uh, I think around year three or so, um, that's when we started getting into trouble with with debt because a banker finally convinced me to do credit cards, which I was so dead set against. Um, but we had a few customers Why that credit we credit cards of all the, of all the debt. Right, the banks would not. I got. I was twenty four when I started the business. Um, okay. Context. So the bank, so I don't know if my age was it or just new businesses, but the bankers just would not do loans, even though we'd be like, Hey, we have this hospital that wants to use us as a provider. We just got to buy the 50 machines and the machines are like two grand a piece. So it's like a hundred thousand bucks of equipment. Um, you know, we need to borrow a hundred thousand dollars so we can buy the equipment so we can have all these sales from the product. Well, that's a lot of sugar. That's a lot of coffee. It's a lot of creamer. It's a lot of cups. It's a lot of stirs. Um, you know, that's a lot of, of stuff to sell from a hospital group who we're pretty sure is going to actually pay the bill. Um, mm -hmm. 
because it was a solid customer and you know they would just sit there and say you know you know hey we you know we don't do loans to uh small businesses and uh you know the best thing you need to do is get a whole bunch of credit cards and just accept that high interest rate as the cost of doing business when you're a new business and i was like oh well, that's stupid and then around the 400th time i heard that um it started to make more sense to me and then it was like, hey, but you can also get, you know, the zero percent offers and you could jump balances. Um, and then Amex gave us a, um, that's what it's like, a purchasing card. Um, and then that that was going well for a while. Uh, and we were jumping zero percent balances and everything. Explain and then it that. Go into that for a second, because a lot of people don't understand what you're saying when you say that. Oh, so, so OK, so zero percent. Um, there's just credit card offers you can get and you know they'll say hey it's zero percent interest for uh you know i don't know 18 months 12 months whatever it is and then it jumps to that 25 percent interest rate uh but it's zero percent so it's gonna you know in in the in the world of borrowing money that's cheap money so we would do you know three or four cards with you know i don't know two thousand dollar five thousand dollar eight thousand dollar limits um you could max them out and then uh you know once that time period came to where it was going to go from zero percent to 24 uh, percent or whatever the percentage was we would find a new deal and we would say hey this credit card's offering zero percent for 18 months uh, and they'll allow balance transfers so we can take the balance from these credit cards that are about to be 25 percent move them over to this card for the next 12 months that'll be a zero percent and that game uh just caught up to me real hard and uh when did it catch up to you what was your debt looking like when it did Oh, it was, it was six figures, uh, maybe even a couple of them. Uh, I can't quite remember. So that time when everything really hit the fan, I think it was about my third or fourth year in business. We were just, we had just gotten profitable. Oh, wow, that's fast. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of, I kind of screwed it up. And I think because we had gotten profitable, we had brought on staff, we had gotten a warehouse, we had gotten an office, like I had made it, you know, I was, I was kind of on top of the world. We were feeling good. You know, I would go out and we would, you know, drink and we'd throw down the Amex and, um, you know, joining all these networking groups and meeting lots of people and uh, picking up customers, buying equipment. Um, and I got sloppy with my numbers. It was probably the worst thing I did. But at the same time, I think part of me just knew things weren't adding up. And so if I ignored it, I didn't have to deal with it. So, which I'm normally a numbers guy, watch the graphs and Very much know so. where everything's going. And, um, even even those first three years when we were really broke, that's probably where it started was, you know, I knew on our family budget, like there's no way we should be making it. Like we're not making enough money to survive. And so I didn't quite know how that was happening. It was almost like if I just turn a blind eye, everything will just work out for, for the best. Uh, and there's some Which crazy did. stories. I, I want to say like it he, clearly it, he survived. It, it did. We did survive. And I mean, I mean, there's some fun stories there of like, uh, I think 2011 when we were really broke, the, the shrimp ran in the St. John's River really strong that year. And we would go out from like, you know, 10 p.m. to two o'clock in the morning throwing shrimp nets. And we would just haul in massive coolers full of shrimp. And we were using that not only to feed our family, but to trade other people for like their produce. Uh, we traded to get a vehicle repaired. Um, like what? I mean, yeah, it, it was it was wild, and the shrimp have not ran like that since. So that was almost like, 
a miracle, you know, answer from God. That's kind of God, thing. dude. That, that, so that's that's exactly how we feel. But I mean, we, so we were trading shrimp for everything. Um, <laughs> it was it was very Bubba Gumpish. Can I mean, you we just were like, like brushing our teeth with with shrimp heads. Oh my gosh! So I think your story is so much representative of the American dream from start to finish. Like it, it truly is textbook example. You started a business and you did it right, really. I mean, you didn't hire staff. You didn't get a fancy building. You didn't get all the fluff. It you struggled. Did you have kids yet? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Levi was already born and that was, he was probably the motive. If you really look back, I started three businesses and sold all three together. And I, I started all three around the time I had a kid. And I didn't really recognize it until um, after the third kid was born. And we kind of looked back and we're like, oh, well, that's kind of obvious that I've, I, I, I had a kid, started a business, and had a kid. Each kid was born. This is how I cope. <laughs> yep. So it, that was very unconscious. Like I did not realize that was happening until afterwards. But clearly, something inside of me panicked and was like, "I got to feed another mouth. Let's create another stream of income." Um, yeah, it was interesting. But anyway, so back to the number story. Um, that caught up to us big time. So I, I just, I knew family wise, we couldn't be making it. I mean, like if we made $10,000 that first year, I would be shocked. I'm not even sure we made that. Um, the second year, maybe in the teens. Um, and then third year, I think we did a lot better. Uh, but just things didn't make sense. And so I kind of stopped paying attention to numbers and was just kind of hoping for the best. And then when we started doing the credit card balances and you know lines of credit, um, things like that, it got, everything was just going good and then all of a sudden it just kind of walloped on me and i wasn't paying good enough attention to it when was that uh, moment I, do you remember that moment yeah we couldn't make the bill all of a sudden you know i had like um gosh like our, our minimum credit card payments were like seven or eight grand a month or something like that um and i was making them fine and then all of a sudden it was like uh we're not gonna be able to make this payment and all of a sudden I never really, I never fully looked into what happened, but all of a sudden it was like money wasn't coming in and all these bills were coming due. And I realized, holy smokes, like we're genuinely in trouble here. Uh, was it a conversation same... you had to have with Ryan or was she oh, on yeah. the same page? How did mm -hmm. that go? From a, from a relationship standpoint, I think it's important for, to cover all bases in the situation, how you That's incorporate what... your partner. When we first started, uh, when we first started the business, we were what, 24 and 22, just had a kid. Um, and we kind of sat there and said like, this is a risk. We were leaving a family business. Uh, you know, that was obviously the safer route, but we kind of sat there and said like, what's the worst case scenario? You know, we're in our mid twenties and we completely fail and have to start over from scratch. It's really not that bad. Um, and then when we, you know, we had to have a real conversation about doing debt because we were both against it. Um, and then we both kind of went in that direction of, all right, maybe this is a smart thing to do. And, uh, you know, maybe this is what all good businessmen do that we just need to jump on board. Um, and so we had that conversation. It was the same thing. Worst case scenario brings us down and, you know, we're in our late twenties and, and we have to start over. Um, and that almost happened. Uh, you know, it got, it got really, really, uh, scary and not fun. We got sued because uh, the second we didn't make those payments, especially Amex, uh, mm -hmm. they came after us hard. Uh, 
and but i even asked him i'm like listen call off the dogs like i just i need time to catch up and like get some cash piled up and i um, mean get you guys taken care of but like you know we've still got we got to be able to pay our vendors that are coming in the door and uh keep product coming and make sure you know uh, you know we can make payroll and all these other things and like you're at the back of the line right now but give me a few months and, and you know we'll get you caught up and they didn't care and what they say oh wow oh yeah they didn't care um i can't remember the exact words uh eventually just got to the point where i was just ignoring uh all collector calls because we were getting hounded by them and we probably had like 10 credit cards and um i think amex was the biggest and they were probably like 70 or 80 grand just in amex um yeah it was it was not fun uh, and we didn't we didn't really escape that i mean they they sued us and um you know we kind of said you know if you sue us you're gonna win like <laughs> we don't have a reason against this we just don't have the money uh and so we ended up uh uh i forget what we did i forget we we ended up filing chapter seven or chapter 11 i can't remember which one it was uh but they knocked us out and uh we we're gonna close the business and and be done forever and just start over and that was going to be it for us uh, and i don't know what we we're going to do go work for someone or uh who knows but i guess through that process we were able to we had a pair way out of it uh, but we were able to keep the business and and keep the equipment uh, and all the debtors got i don't know how that's taken care of on the back end but it, you know so we ended up going through that bankruptcy process which was I mean, the scariest thing what I've probably that? ever done. It was. Ooh, um, tell me about that. I haven't. Um, yeah. I know I've never talked to somebody about this. It's usually something. Yeah, it's hush I, hush. I, I, yeah. Well, yeah. I never tell anybody about it. <laughs> it's not. But other it's than important. Not, it happens. So yeah. many people file this every single year. Oh sure. Yeah. And I was you know, when we went to the rooms and everything, there were tons of people, uh, all sorts of different stories. A couple of people that were faking it um, and got called out. Apparently, I you know, uh, we hired an attorney uh, to help us. Um, which was an interesting discussion because when we went to talk to her, we're like, all right, so how do we pay you? Because obviously we can't pay people. Like, that's yeah. kind of our problem. You know, um, you know and she what basically the answer? said, you better find a way. <laughs> so, oh, like, you, God. You, have to, you have to figure it out. You know, some people borrow from uh, from family. Some people, you know, do this or that. Um, you know, we, we still had some money coming in. We just weren't as profitable as I thought because we were, I think basically we were moving so much into debt and adding to that debt column that it looked more profitable than it really was because we weren't making traction on paying that debt down. We were just adding to it. So it made our margins look nicer than it really seemed. Um, and then when we weren't able to increase the amount of capital uh, to add on to, that's kind of, that's, that's what I think happened is that's when it actually came piling down on us. Uh, and then we probably hit a slump in the business like it was probably just a season. You had to have. Yeah, because all of a sudden, just not as much was coming in and the numbers that were going out were just a lot bigger. But um, the process was not fun. The guy, there was, there was a guy in front of us uh, during that process that, you know, the guy basically said, hey, I'm looking through your paperwork. I think this is completely fraudulent. This is why, and it was like, the whole situation was scary because they can, they can really wreck your life. There's jail time, um, you know, they went after us, uh, because we had a house and even though it was homestead protected they wanted to undo the homestead so they filed to undo the homestead um gosh they filed just about everything i mean they were like 
you know, we want to take your furniture, we want to take your house, we want to take your cars, we want to, Jeez. you know, take everything in your business. I mean, it was the letters you got were so were you know because they're all like basically lawsuit processes. Uh, I don't know. They just. I remember not wanting to read them anymore. I'd always call the attorney and she'd always be like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Like this is just, it's a, it's a formality, but um, the reality of it was it was a gut Emotional. punch every time. It just, oh, it, it that, those are feelings I never want to feel again. So I was anti-debt before and then we kind of went into it because we thought that was, the, that was what successful business people did. Um, and then I think at my age and understanding of what business was and what numbers were, just it got away from me. Um, but I, I, I don't want to get into it again. I don't like it. It's, it's, you know, once we were able to clear those hurdles, I think that took about six months. Um, oh, wow. That's not that long at all. Yeah. I mean, to you, it probably did, but I wasn't expecting you to say that. Longest six months of my life. Um, and it may have been eight, may have been three. I, you know, I actually can't remember. Um, <laughs> it may have been three. I don't know. I, so it moved relatively fast. I can't remember. I just remember the letters were always coming in. The the collectors were always calling. Um, you know, it was just, it was not a fun time. And it was, it was genuinely scary, especially when I went through the legal process. And, you know, when we were getting letters of like legal action to undo our homestead and things like that, it was just, it was just genuinely frightening that you've really, not only have you kind of screwed up your life, um, you but you've kids. screwed up your business. You've screwed up your, you know, the stability, you know, that someone like me craves so much. Um, you know, so it, it was not a fun process, but we ended up settling out of that um, and we were able to clear it. Uh, I forget exactly how we did that. I think we might have taken a HELOC to kind of settle that and um, and pay off the, the debtors and, and make deals and everything. Uh, can't quite remember i'd really have to think about that some more it's a it's a well, time of my life where it was just kind of like fuzzy and glossed well, you're, over you're and purposely trying, trying to, to you're trying to block it out because it was traumatic for you but it's oh, also sure. i mean if we're talking about failure that is that's something that someone can learn from and looking back on especially that experience something that you've never even shared with me we've had several deep conversations oh, yeah, I, I feel like i don't i don't tell many people that but it'll come up if we really get into it. Like if someone's talking to me about starting a business or if they're talking to me about it's so um, educational you know, though. Getting funding for their business, things like that, that's when I enter that discussion. I'm like, just so you know, uh, the bankers will tell you this is the smart way to go and they are wrong. So but they, looking back not- at that, as a numbers person, if it was tracked, technically it could have worked. Looking oh, sure. back at that. Where did you mess up? What would you have done different? What advice do you wish someone told you that would have improved that situation so you could have avoided bankruptcy potentially? I So the credit card stuff was, it was too easy. Um, money just, access to capital was too quick. Uh, it was a swipe of a card. It was, you weren't thinking about it anymore. And so I think at that time, especially, you know, being 25, 26, I guess at that time. Yeah, you're young. Uh, yeah, it just, it was different. Like you lose that scrapping mentality. Like you start caring about costs less um, because you just swipe the card, it's good, you got it. You got the thing that you wanted. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I talk to plenty of people starting business, I think do it with cash. You know, that's what we've done with all our subsequent businesses um, that we've started since then. 
Um, and that's how we live life now, just not borrowing, just because it keeps me out of trouble. And I'm a smart guy. I'm clever. I like mm-hmm. I know how to run a business. I've been successful at it. And still, even someone like me that's that's good at that stuff can get caught up in it and can be stupid. I think I'd be better a second time around if I were to do it. Um, I just try and avoid it. I think if there's going to be money borrowed, um, credit cards are probably not the way to go because it is too easy. Um, but for um, someone in that situation, what's what's an alternative? What you could you else fast. have you done? You just don't grow, you don't grow as fast. fast. You just get so if you can keep that scrapping mentality um, and not have access to the easy capital, I just I think you make better decisions because you really put more thought into. Do I really need this? Is this really That's a real. good customer to take on? That's real. Um, is this actually going to pay off or not? Versus when you kind of have that free access to capital, you're like, why not? Let's t- let's take this risk. Well, let's buy this thing. So what? Um, you know, it's. I, I, I feel that. I feel yeah, that in I my don't. own life. Sure. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just when it's free and abundant and easier. Uh, I don't know. You're you're just more likely to take on risks that you wouldn't if you were if you were in a tougher situation, and staying in that tougher situation or at least in that mentality, uh, can be very very beneficial. That's that's my struggle. Opinion. And that's, struggles meant to teach. It exists. Yeah, and that's how we did it. Even when we became cash flush in later years, um, and we were going into launching new businesses, we you know it was always kind of that mentality of do we need to spend this much money. Do we need to buy this model of machine? Because every time I launched a business, it was just kind of a big cash upfront. Like when we did the vending in the micro markets, you know, it was going to be fifty, sixty thousand dollars of equipment, just the equipment to launch this thing. So, you know, it wasn't just free spending. It was it was still that scrapper mentality of uh, paying attention to where every dollar is going, making sure there's maximum value there, making sure it's actually needed what we're doing. Um, just much more careful about what you're spending and uh, what the return on that spend is going to be. Um, so I don't know how but to explain looking, that better than scrapper mentality. I'm, I'm trying no, to think no I like I like that because I mean yeah. you put it you put it pretty eloquently. Growing slower, and I think that it's it's hard, especially for people today, to grow slow because then you don't have anything to share at Thanksgiving. You don't have much to share on social media or it's, it's in a world full of comparison. If you're growing slow, you're losing. Yeah, that's true. And I'll say we never cared. I think about what other people thought. I think it's one of the good things about me and Ryan is like, we don't really care. We've never been like brand of clothes or like we have to join this, you know, this gym because it's the popular one or. Um, you know, we've always had kind of beater vehicles, um, even through that whole process, you know, I was driving like a 1996 Toyota 4Runner with 300,000 miles on it. Um, there, we, but even so, we just got, you still got caught up, you got sloppy. And that was just all on the business side. It it wasn't buying stuff to be cool. Um, it was just being kind of looser with the purse strings, um, yeah, like I said, I, I'd never put a lot of thought into it because it was such a bad time and I didn't want to assess it. I just knew I never wanted to replicate it. So we never, we just never got into cards again. Um, we, we never even did any heat locks or borrowing or equipment financing, anything like that. We just straight up, I had the money to buy it or I didn't. 
and a lot of that was because not only that situation, but then you look back to 08, um, what happened there. Oh, yeah. You sat there and said, you know, we've met vendors that were in that same issue of, you know, all of a sudden your customers disappear. Like we had that lull that kind of caught us um, and forced us into that situation. You know, your customers disappear, no fault of your own. You are a good service provider, but that big customer shut their doors for whatever reason. Maybe they shipped their work to Mexico. Maybe they just had a problem in their business. Who knows? Um, but that customer such and all of a sudden you're still making payments on that equipment that no longer produces a single dollar. So we really got into the mentality of everything has to be paid for cash because if everything goes to crap, if 08 hits again, if COVID hits, which obviously this was before COVID, uh, but if everything comes to a screeching halt, it's bad, it's not good, but it doesn't crush us, it doesn't kill us. Um, and so sticking with that thought process, uh, has been, it, it worked out well. We became incredibly profitable um, after that. Um, and obviously we were we were primed for an, uh, to be an acquisition that somebody really wanted and, and would pay top dollar for. So, uh, and debt would have, like I said, we, we, we tried it, but debt, debt could have gotten us a lot bigger, but at the same point, sometimes you get so big that you kind of topple over. And so it's not good to always be bigger. It's just, it's harder to get the staffing. It's you got to buy more trucks. You got to get bigger warehouses. Uh, so there were problems associated with that. You got to carry more inventory. Then if you start financing, you, know, you start well, financing. And, and then the pool of people to purchase you goes, it becomes smaller as well. Sure. Because, well, yeah, then it's not only is it a more complicated purchase, but your margins don't look as good because you have so much cash going to payments every month. Um, yeah, th there's a lot of factors involved in there. Uh, but even growth, you know, we were always, cause we were, when we sold, that was kind of our thing of some of the timing for why we sold was simply because, uh, you know, we were, we were kind of looking at, we needed to add another truck. We needed to add another employee. Um, it, you know, once we got to that level, we really needed to add another employee to manage those employees. Uh, we needed to get a bigger warehouse, um, and then to support the bigger warehouse and to support the new staff, we really needed to pick up more customers, which would have been more equipment. Um, the cost of setting the customer was getting more expensive, especially as we were moving into the micro market world, which was essentially you go to a, a customer's location, you take out all the vending machines in the break room and you build a convenience store that's got a self checkout station. Um, and so those things were becoming more expensive. Um, they were incredibly profitable, but it still was a lot of upfront cost to me, the vendor, because I have to buy all of that fun stuff that makes it look like a nice convenience store um, and all the technology behind it as well. And so we were looking at, man, over the next course of the couple of years, it's going to cost us a few hundred thousand dollars in cash to do this, to get the warehouses, to get the truck, to get the employees, to get the more equipment. Probably need to hire a salesperson to be picking up these accounts because I'm already busy. Um, and so we started looking at how much was going to be going out versus an acquisition play where we kind of cash out. We were super profitable. Uh, we had plenty of cash in the bank. You know, it was a, um, it was a good spot. So that all kind of led to, uh, you know, that mentality uh, of being a prime target for that acquisition and then actually pulling the trigger on it. Other than just dealing in cash, what other major changes in the way you conduct business and the way that you manage people came from that failure? Uh, the financial failure? Mm -hmm. Probably nothing to do with people. Um, that really just impacted the way I managed the business. And I was very willing to tell customers no after that. Um, 
know, if you wanted me to buy you a whole bunch of stuff, it, it probably it was probably more prospective customers than anything. Um, you know, we we had lots of opportunities to take on a very big customer, but it was kind of out of our area, would require a significant cash investment, uh, or maybe a contract that we didn't really like the terms of very much. So it it, it kind of kept us in a safer spot because we were less risky. We weren't overextending ourselves, even though we were paying cash, you know, you put out $200,000 of equipment for a customer that's out in Orlando, and then you have to create this whole new mm. route that goes out to Orlando, occupies a person that has to drive the two hours, go there. Every time there's a repair, you're sending someone two hours out, two hours back. Um, and so you're kind of overextending your resources. Um, it just made us look uh, much more probably intellectually at those kind of decisions to where I just didn't mind saying no to new business. Um, but that's you know, beautiful. Whole, yeah, the whole I have to grow, I have to get bigger. Um, we did every year, just it could have been bigger, it could have been faster. Um, we just weren't willing to. We we wanted to take on solid, good customers. I'm glad you that said we, that. We we're going to be good for us. I'm glad you said that because that's I mean, every small business goes through this, and I've probably talked about this on previous episodes because I felt it. I, the first two years in business, I felt it where I was doing way too much, and it still happens occasionally but I was doing way too much to to win a prospect over. And it would take hours of my time. And then I, I have a lot of business owner clients and I see that in their infancy in their business as well, where they just so desperately want to succeed. They want to prove to someone that they're worthy and they over deliver, but that's not sustainable. And as time goes by, they start to resent that customer because they've set the expectation that this is the service that they're going to provide. This is the level of service. But as you grow and you scale, that's just not realistic anymore. But they'll resent yep. the, the customer, but that you can't resent the customer. You set the precedence. And, and I think and that's I an important lesson. Yeah, and I don't mind the so the the setting a standard for excellence and and going above and beyond. I I think that's a good thing. You have to be able to actually execute on it. But it has to make sense. I I think it's yeah, but I I think it's a lot more willing to fire customers that occupy too much of your time for not enough reward, um, mm -hmm. and willing to say no to new business, even though you could get it, just knowing that it's not perfect for you. It might be better for yes. somebody else. No, uh, I'm doing this right now in my business. And I and and I tell this to some clients who are at the point where they can go to the next level. I'm like, look, you need to raise your prices, but then people aren't going to come. The right people will come. Yeah. And you're going to get people that are no. mad at you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get people that are mad at you. You go, hey, you're so expensive. You're not worth it anymore. And, you know, those kind of things. For us, it was a lot of like, hey, you don't buy enough from us. <laughs> so, <laughs> and like you call us a lot over little things. Um, and we usually wouldn't say it that way, but we just kind of sit there and say, hey, there's better options out there for you. You know, maybe Amazon is, is a better fit for you. Uh, maybe, you know, ex so and so coffee service is a better fit for you. Um, it, so it was really kind of a constant process of kind of looking at your bottom 10% of your customers or the ones that are occupying the most time and really assessing whether um, life would be better without them. And so, especially as a small business owner, you know, life factors into your time factors mm -hmm. into it. Uh, how much stress you have factors into it. Um, it's just some customers just aren't worth it. Sometimes it's better to let your competitor have them because they're such a headache. <laughs> so, and that's okay. 
and yeah. that's okay. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Because <laughs> it's a huge struggle for small businesses. They want to take all the bit, but that is what, this is what I tell people. It takes one bad customer, one bad client to ruin it all. It takes one. It takes one to sue you. It takes one yeah. to, yeah, it takes one bad relationship. So if you're a small business owner, especially if you've already started, you're starting to make a little money, you're getting in the groove and you're like, okay, I'm ready to grow. What do I need to do? Say no and become super intuitive about, I mean, write it on paper. What is your ideal customer? And focus small. Like you said, you weren't doing, you weren't taking customers that were in Orlando. All right, cool. How do I market to the people within 10 miles of me? Who are yeah. they? What do they need? What are they lacking? Who are they currently using? You don't have to start broad. Start small and grow outward. No. Which just sounds and, and like so, what you did. Yeah. And, well, and then we pivoted off of that. And we sat there and said, um, there was a big customer that wanted to hire us, but uh, they were all over the state. They had like 20 some facilities. Oh, and it was wow. kind of like, hey, we want one person to take care of all of them. And that opened up the doors for us to, because we couldn't do it. There's this. We could say we could do it, but we would have failed miserably. It would not have mm -hmm. been fun. Um, it would have been a lot of money and equipment. And so that's what started our second company, which is the contracting side of it. Um, and so we were able to sign them as a customer under our new company. We were able to subcontract the services locally to us. And then because I knew the industry well, I could drive to all these other facilities, see what they needed, and then go to vendors around that area and pick which one, interview them, pick which ones I like best that um, I thought would be a good fit for them and then hire them to service those customers. And that that launched a whole new company for us uh, of being able to contract out uh, those type of services. So we could take on the bigger accounts, so we could take on accounts in different cities uh, and find vendors and place them there and still have a, you know, a, a small source of revenue off of that because we would take commissions off of those sales. How important was the business entity structure in these different companies for you? And what did you choose for each company and why? Uh, that was an accounting decision. Um, so okay. uh, my accountant, uh, was it my accountant? Maybe it was an attorney. I think it's my accountant. Probably accounts an attorney. Was, I feel like it was an accountant. Okay. I can't well, remember. It was an accountant. But yeah. So I went to a professor. I went to a If there's an error, your attorney's going to find it. Yeah, but when you're when you're when you're setting up a corporate structure, I'm frozen on the bottom screen. I don't know if that's happening on your end. You're doing great on mine. Perfect. Um, I just have a weird face on mine, but that's okay. I'll ignore it. I'll ignore the monkey version of me staring at me. Um, where are I going with that? Oh, so for corporate structure, I mean, it's more of a taxation thing. It is liability mm -hmm. as well, but they all kind of present some form of liability. Uh, so I think it was for, I think it was the accountant who kind of said so uh, RCS Russell Coffee Service was set up as an S corp uh, and then Russell Investment Group was an LLC uh, because most of that was how the how your income and taxation happens like uh, the S corp is a flow through uh, but you still have the protections of a corporation uh, but you don't have to do the C corp separate taxation uh, and the LLC was flowed through to personal so. Yeah, yeah so I'm I always think, curious how I when uh, because a lot a lot of taxation issues are really just come down, especially with small businesses come to your corporate structure. If you're yeah, making so think, money, 
S4, so I think small, as far as liability goes, is my favorite right now. Small business-wise, um, you know, you, you want the corporate entity for liability protection. And then the more stuff, you, like, if it, like if we're talking real estate, you don't want to have like a huge real estate portfolio in one LLC. You want to be able to divide it up. That way, if one of them gets so sued, you know, because someone twists their ankle on your, your lawn, uh, the whole portfolio is not in, in that entity. So you kind of divide up your liability that way but it's all gonna tax out the same way. Um, as far as corporate structure, S Corp is almost always the way to go because that mm -hmm. flows through to personal. So you're not having two separate tax bills. Um, and then if you're small, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with sole proprietor if you're, you know, if you're in a non-litigious industry, but LLCs, are, it's all relatively cheap to set up. I mean, I've, I don't know what the LLC costs me every year, but it's probably like 75 bucks. Oh, it's it's real cheap. That. If you do it yourself, it's really cheap. I've always hired someone just because it makes more sense with the amount of time that I have, but it's not that, it's not complicated. I recommend it. I would look into an S Corp to make sure, because from what I understand, S Corp does 360 liability, whereas LLC only does frontward facing liability, but you gotta look into that. I'm clearly not an accountant. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you on that. Uh, I listen but I to thought professionals. I'd ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like tax, like taxes and stuff, I always left to the accountant. I just, I never wanted to get entangled in that. And I did my personal taxes um, before that. But then once we had a, a company accountant, I just kind of let them take care of that as well. Uh, mostly because I never wanted that stuff to come back in money. It gets, it starts to get really complicated. And I, I know numbers. I took accounting in cool. college and like, so I have an understanding of it, but even it's I get lost in that stuff sometimes. Plus, I don't stay on top of it, and they know the new. They know Ooh, the. Year I hate accounting. Year. Yeah, they know the year-to-year -year changes and and um, you know, and adjustments that have been made to the tax code way better than I would from year to year. Yeah, I think that um, you, you you didn't really illustrate some of the key decisions you made coming out of bankruptcy that made a big difference in those first few years because you basically had to start over. Yeah, I, so after that, it was, I put my head down, shut up and just did my job and, and <laughs> enjoyed the Did you the have to create that, new entities? No, no, no. We were able to kind of keep everything flowing the way it was. Um, we just had to, we had to pay off basically everyone. So it's, it, bankruptcy basically negotiated um, the settlement for the process, so we were able to get out clear of that, but we had to pay. Um, and I think we used a home equity loan to kind of get clear yeah. of that stuff. So we kept, we basically, we took on some new debt um, in the form of a home equity loan. I think this is how we do it, uh, to, to pay them all off. And I mean, it was a fraction of, of what we owed, but, um, and honestly, if they just hadn't sued us as fast, we, we I think we would have gotten out fine. of it in a couple of years. But I mean, they, they, they came down on us so quick and so hard. It was just. How soon uh, after you missed a payment? Like 30, 60 days. I mean. Wow. It was, it was so fast. And like, and I even called them. I was like, listen, time. Like right now, I just need time. And uh, they didn't care. And I think the, the firm they hired was out of Jacksonville too. They were right next to one of my customers. I remember talking to them. Like, <laughs> Gosh. I was like, it's like, hey, uh, chill. I, I did. I was like, just call off the dogs for a little bit. Like, <laughs> like you're you're like forcing me into a position where like I had to go talk to an attorney the other day because I'm like, there's like 
Like, I understand you guys are going to sue me like, and you're going to win. It's not going to change anything here. <laughs> like, yeah, just, the money's not there. Um, and if they hadn't come down that hard and that that furious on us, I think we could have escaped it. Um, it was just so much so soon. Um, and then because it was just Amex, really, because they were coming down so hard on us at a. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we just put in it because we we're going to have to go through that process anyway. It was either lose a judgment or go through the bankruptcy process um, that we just we had to include everybody else in it, too. Uh, but they were definitely the big one and they were definitely the instigator on it. Yeah, that's a that's an amazingly mysterious process because nobody wants to talk about it. Millions of people go through it every year. And yeah. I think what people forget is that there's a life after bankruptcy. There is. And like, I, I don't think you can borrow money for a while after, but I never cared. I never wanted to and never tried. Um, I think during that process, we froze our credit. Like I just froze all of our credit bureaus and things like that for both me and Ryan. Traumatized. Whatever kids. Yeah. And I just, we haven't, we've never undone it since. Um, but there's been times like I tried to get a Verizon phone while we were out on the road and they're like, oh, we need to run your credit like well it's frozen so you're not going to be able to yeah <laughs> like well you can't get a phone then like i can literally buy the building you're in like right now <laughs> but i can't get a phone from you so wait you well you got a verizon phone that's what you use so clearly that worked out no i used t-mobile oh i thought you had verizon you I've used to have verizon no, i've been on t-mobile for like 10 years i like t-mobile so there's a free endorsement We've got, we, we've also got the business, we've got the business lines with them still um, from the business and like got four lines for like a hundred bucks a month and it's all unlimited. So I'm okay with that. They've been if good. people want to contact you, what's your preferred method of contact? Email is probably the best way. What's your email? Townsend at russellcoffee.com. No, that's not true. Townsend. No. Townsend at what? You got me talking coffee. Uh, that, that so that email address still does work. Um, so I know I have it. <laughs> uh, Townsend at one hundred dad dot com. So T O W N S E N D at one zero zero D A D dot com. I'm also gonna tag your Instagram because it is one of my favorite at, pages. At one hundred dad. Yeah. So you, yes, talking failure there. Have you seen my numbers on that thing lately? Oh my gosh! I was just talking about that before the podcast. I was looking over your Instagram and I was like. Man, his engagement is down. What is he doing? That's horrendous. What are horrendous. you doing? I have zero clue. Is it the music? Clue. Are you not using the trendy music? Your hashtags? I, I, what is it? So I am not doing anything trendy. Um, I think I got shadow banned That's... a couple of times. There's been a couple followers of mine who who presented the thought that I am a uh, I am a white male that's um, encouraging a normal family Christian life. And so that is not what social media wants. That's not what the tech companies want to see. So I'll be forever pushed down because of that. I don't think that's true. No, no, no. I I, that can't true. be true. Your no, brand uh, is great. We, it really yeah, is. We, we had a great, we had great growth to it. Um, it's actually dropped by probably four or 500 people in the last six months. Um, which I'm okay with. I think those are all bots and things like that. Cause there's no, mm -hmm. there's been no real steady reason for it. There's been no like controversial content or anything. Uh, but yeah, we've also been living a life where it's hard to put out consistent content. I don't do the trendy music and stuff like that. I, you I don't know. Do hashtags. Yeah, I'm supposed to, I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want. 
you gotta do it. I know. This, so needs, I did, this needs to persevere. I just hired, uh, there's a couple girls who started a social media company in like San Diego. Um, and so I just hired them. They've been just started like last week of creating some new content and they're, uh, their only goal is to increase engagement, um, which ironically their content has not done that great. Holy crap. What? I just got to notice Bitcoin's down to 20 grand right now. I know. Oh my gosh. I know. I want to buy it so bad. I told myself, is it at 20 grand? I just, I just got to notice that popped up 20,000 oh, something. Shut your mouth. I'm waiting for lower. I don't think that's the bottom. I mean, no, it's not. I'm bad it, at but I try to buy it. I buy it at each each time it decreases five grand. I put money into it. Oh my gosh, it's almost there. Yeah. Let's see. What is it? Just it just told me yet yeah, twenty thousand eight hundred eighty-two. I don't know. Yep. It just popped up. But all right, I'm gonna set a timer because when it goes <laughs> to nineteen nine nine nine, I am putting money in. Oh. That's a huge, watch, that's a support level right there. Watch, watch money, watch money continue to decrease. That's okay. Do we want to talk about, it's a long do we term. Want to talk about, do we want to talk about my stock portfolio and how well that's doing? Do you want to talk about that on I'm, I'm, here? On failure, uh, whatever this is, failure podcast. Hey, you're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Every single one of those I have, they look ugly as hell right now. I will say that. Yep. So yeah. So we gotta get hundred ad making some money, but you know, what won't do anything while we're in Alaska. It's too much, too much stuff going on to be productive here. But eventually oh, we'll get the conference man. going. Hopefully that'll make some money. And um, I'm know, excited about that. Gosh, I, I, I just want to get an office somewhere and just like work on that for like a solid month. Um, but that won't happen. Why? I've why? Got, why won't that happen? uh it just won't we move too much we're we're oh, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to accommodate the family as well and the, although the family would absolutely stop if i if i begged them to um you know i won't so plus if i like in an office like if we actually stop the area and get an office somewhere like that means i'll have taken the truck and like they won't be able to go anywhere or they'd have to drop me out it'd be just a weird scenario so there's it not, could work there's not like a trailer add-on office that you could just tow and you go in there for like nine hours so, so we, I, I, I've said that before. I'm like, Ryan, why don't we just get a, another tow vehicle, like another truck and a, another trailer, like a smaller one. And that, we just have two separate houses at every place we go to. Um, she's not thrilled at the idea of having to drive, okay. especially towing a trailer. Just poke. No, but like when we were in Houston, we were in Houston for a month and that place had a business center and actually got a lot of work done. I got my book written there. Um, Wow. Or rewritten. So that's that's out the editing now. Uh, so we'll see how that comes back. They're going to come back and be like, you write like a third grader. Like, yeah, I know. That's why I hired you. <laughs> You'll have to let me know what editing firm you use. But all right. I appreciate you so much for coming on here. I wish Ryan participated. We'll have to add her. I'll have to do her separate. Would she do Would she do this? Oh, 100%. So that would be better content. Um, Cause it'd be, we're be totally separate. Um, cause she can start hitting homeschooling and, you know, mothering from a different aspect and, uh, you know, the support nature of being married to some sort of maniac and serial entrepreneur like me. So for sure. Yeah. That's why I want her input. Cause there's a relationship aspect that we didn't even touch on, but we've already been talking for an hour and a half, so we can't do it. Yeah. Right. All right. Much love. 
Good night. Good day. Yeah, it's, it's only six o'clock, so. I know it's it's, it's ten. It's ten. Here. Six. Good night. Well, good night. Have a good one.